morning, y'all. If you got your Bible, I want to ask you to take it and open up to John chapter 14. Uh, we're going to start in verse 15 in just a second. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I know uh, some of y'all walked in, and I, I was telling the connector this morning, it looks like that turkey coma is like a real thing because like your face is still glazed over. And uh, we even got half of y'all on the gotcha just a second ago. Y'all, everybody else sat down, and everybody else kept standing up. Right, so everybody's mind's kind of out of it, but uh, I'm really glad you're here this morning. I hope that you've got so much to be thankful for uh, coming out of this season of Thanksgiving. Man, I can just, even this morning, I just kind of feel a spirit of Thanksgiving in this place. I mean, and that's, that's awesome because we do have so much uh, to just praise God that He's given us uh, this morning. So if you got your Bible, like I said, John chapter uh, 14, we're going to start in verse 15. Uh, today we're going to be closing out our series uh, uh, how do I that we've been in. And I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed this How Do I series. I feel like God's been uh, working in and around our church uh, as we've been going through this series. And today we're going to close out the How Do I series by talking about obedience. So the question for us today is how can I live a life of obedience? How can I leave this place today and start now, right here, right now, living a life of obedience to Jesus Christ that lasts forever? And as we consider obedience, what God kind of laid on my heart this week as I was preparing, and it was a crazy week, so I'm preparing at different times, I'm, uh, and I'm just trying to get everything together. Uh, what He really laid on my heart, though, is I, as I was thinking about obedience, is that as Christians, when we start talking about obedience to God and living a life of obedience to God, this is the most ultimate thing that we can live for. I want you to realize that this morning. That the most ultimate thing that you can live for is to live a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? There is no other pursuit that is greater than this. There is not a career. There is not a, a pursuit of money. There is not a pursuit of love. There is, there is no other pursuit that is as great as the pursuit of obedience to God. And I, want you, I hope this morning that you realize that when all is said and done, all we can hope to say at the end of our lives as Christians is I've been obedient to my God. Man, if, we, if when we're on our deathbed, we can just look up with confidence and say, man, I've, I've trusted God and I've followed Him and I've been obedient. Man, that's a good legacy to leave. The best legacy that we, a Christian can hope to leave is one of obedience. And we have ample illustration of this in the Bible. We got, you can, I, I would challenge you, when you have spare time, read through the Old Testament and find out all the legacies of obedience of men and women who lived their entire lives pursuing God and living a life of obedience to God. As I was thinking about this week, I, I thought about something we hit on a couple weeks ago at the very first week of the series. You even might have missed it. But I, how, I thought about the example of Joshua in the Old Testament. Anybody remember when we read about Joshua uh, five weeks ago? We read one verse about Joshua. It's one of the first times we see Joshua in the Bible. And we see Joshua in this scene where we were talking about Moses in the tent of meeting. The Bible said that Joshua was one of the ones who went into the tent of meeting with Moses. And Moses would get done talking to God. And Moses would leave the tent of meeting. But you know who stayed in the tent of meeting? Joshua. He stayed there with God. And as I, as I started thinking about Joshua, I, Joshua's life is really cool because what you can do in the story of Joshua is you can piece his whole life together. We have Joshua from a young man all the way to an old man, and what we see of Joshua is that he leaves this life of legacy, 
of this legacy of obedience to God. Think about it. the next time we see Joshua, Moses is dead, and now Joshua is in, is in charge of these miserable, complaining church folk. All right? Look out. That's right. Church folk were different back then. He's in charge of all these church people, and he, he's, he's getting ready to conquer the land that God's promised. And what's God telling him to do? All right, Joshua, here's your battle plan. I want you to march around this city once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times and the walls are going to come crumbling down. It's not a very good battle plan for those of you who are not military analysts, right? That's a horrible battle plan. Yet, what do we see Joshua do? He's obedient. He marches once a day for six days. On the seventh day, he marches around seven times and the walls come crumbling down. He was obedient. And then you get, this, you get to watch Joshua's life all throughout as it plays out, and you get to see one of the final scenes in Joshua's life as where he is standing before Israel, and he looks to them and says, I don't know who you're going to serve, but as for me and my family, we're going to serve God. You choose whom you're going to serve. And so what we see with Joshua is from a young man all the way to the old man, he leaves a legacy of obedience. And today, what I want for you, what I want for myself, what I want for my family and this church is that for us to realize that this is the pursuit of our lives, that I want for us what Joshua had, that there is coming a day when we're going to have that final scene in our lives, and I want us to be able to look back like Joshua did and say, I've been obedient to God, and I'm going to serve God. You choose whom you want to serve. That's what I want for us today. However, though, a lifetime of obedience starts right here, right now. You can't be obedient to God for 70 years without being obedient to God today. So at the outset today, i got to ask you, what is your greatest desire? You come to this church today, some of you probably, some of you probably were like, woke up this morning and were excited to come to church. Praise God, it's Sunday, I get to come. Some of you were probably like, whew, i got to go to church today, right? You, were, you, were read, you, you got dressed, got in the car, and then you looked at your spouse and like, are you sure we got to go to church today, right? You were, you were questioning it right up until, until you turned on the Landrum Drive right here. But what's your greatest desire? Because as Christians, there should be nothing in us that we want more than to live a life of obedience to God. And that starts right here, right now. So if you're serious this morning, here's what I, I, I've, I've asked before. I, I've asked before what we need at the beginning of these messages is commitment, right? I don't need, to, I don't need for you to wait to the end to decide if you're going to move based on what I say or did I say. Listen, if you're waiting to see how good of a message I preach before you decide that you're going to act on what God tells you, you're going to be disappointed, okay? It's just going to happen that way every time, all right? But at the beginning, what we need is a commitment to say, I'm going to leave this place today and be obedient to Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to do, especially if you're a Christian here this morning. As we're getting started, I want you to take in your mind and form a mental picture of a blank check. I want you to picture your life as a blank check. It's in your mind. There is nothing written on it. Now, here's what I want you to realize. A blank check is a very dangerous thing, right? And the more you got, the more dangerous a blank check is. All right? For me, a blank check is not that dangerous. All right? For some of y'all here, a blank check is catastrophic, okay? All right, that, now that, that was a joke. Y'all can laugh. Y'all got to loosen up, okay? Y'all are still very much asleep. 
But a blank check is a dangerous thing. Why? Because when you hand somebody a blank check, they then have the ability to, to take claim on everything that you own. And this morning, what I want is for at the outset, we're about to start talking about obedience. We're about to see what Christ has to say about obedience. What I want is for you to picture your life as a blank check, and I want you to be willing to take that blank check and lay it on the table for God and say no qualifications, no questions asked, no conditional statements. God, here is my life. You write the check. You take it all. Just 100% radical commitment to obey Christ and to live for His glory. That's what I want for us today. And Christian, hear me right now. Hear me right now. Jesus Christ will not accept anything less than 100% radical commitment to Him. If you're going to put even one dot on the check, don't lay it down this morning. What God has said is, I will have it all or I will have none. So this morning, before we even start, I want to ask you to do that. I want to ask you, take your life and lay it down in obedience. We're going to turn, John chapter 14, we're going to turn and see, we're going to see what Christ has to say about obedience. I think if we need to, if we need to worry about what anybody has to say about obedience in the Bible, we should probably go to Christ, right? So we're going to see what Christ has to say about obedience and he's going to tell us how we can be obedient. But now I want to give you a little context for what's going on here. In John chapter 14, what we're about to find is that this is Jesus' last moments with the disciples. This is the night, before, the night when he is going to be arrested. He's going to be put on trial. And then the next day begins his, uh, his persecution and crucifixion. Okay? So this is it. What we have are the final moments of Christ's life as the disciples know it. The next time they're going to be seeing Christ after this crucifixion, he's going to be in his glorious form when he's resurrected from the dead. Okay? So this is it. This is Christ's last moment as their teacher on earth. So what he is telling them tonight is going to be pretty important. So put yourself in this situation now. This is Jesus' last meal with these disciples. And that's what we're going to read right here. If you got your Bible, John chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 15. This is what the Bible says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet I a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in the fa my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments, listen to this, verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, because the, you, you, I like how the Bible qualifies that, right? That's a pretty good qualification, right? The other dude who was, the other disciple who was named Judas was just a poor soul, right? I bet for the rest of his life, everybody was like, you're the one. And he's like, no, I'm not Iscariot, okay? So that's what the Bible is doing for us there. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? 
Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Let's pray. God, this morning, as, as we just dive into a text, dear God, as we're going to see, dear Lord, what you have to tell us about being obedient, God, I just lay myself before you, dear God, dear Lord. I want to lay my blank check before you, dear God, and I just say there is nothing off limits in my life, dear God. You have it all, God. Lord, you have it all. God, and Lord, I just pray today that you would work in our hearts to help us to see our lives as 100% committed and dedicated to you, dear God. And the reality is, dear Lord, every bit of our life will be wasted if it's not 100% committed to you, Jesus. Lord, you want it all this morning, and I pray today that you would have our hearts, dear God, that we would be 100% obedient to you, dear God, that we, we would leave this place saying, God, I want to live a life of obedience. God, please, right now, Holy Spirit, have mercy on me and have mercy on your people and speak to your people, dear God. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so Jesus has given this long conversation right here to the disciples about obedience and about the Holy Spirit. So right now, on Jesus' last night with the disciples, one of the things that he seems to be most worried about is that they would know how to be obedient and that they would know where the power for that obedience is going to come from, all right? So we got, I got three points, all right? Just three quick things that I want you to see from this text about obedience. And listen, you're going to see here, these are not little three things that if you do this, then you're going to be obedient, okay? That's not how obedience to Jesus works. It's not a checklist. But I want you to lock in with me right here, and I want you to see what Jesus is going to tell us about obedience. Because if you can see what Jesus is telling us, you're going to leave here, and you're going to begin to live in obedience to God if you can see what Jesus is saying, all right? So let's see what Jesus has got to say. Here's the first thing that Jesus is telling his disciples. Verse 15, if you'll put it up there. This is the first thing he tells them. Love is the motivation for obedience. Everybody got that? If you're a note taker, the first thing is love is the motivation for obedience. Read verse 15 with me. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love is the motivation for obedience. So the first thing to notice here, I want you to see this text with me. The first thing to notice is that Christ has given us a conditional statement, okay? A conditional statement is an if-then statement. If you do this, then this will happen, right? That's what a conditional statement is. If I go uh, heat up some leftovers for lunch, I'm going to eat, okay? That's a conditional statement. It doesn't happen unless you have the if, all right? Is everybody following with me here? So if this, then this. And here's what I want you to understand. Why am I drawing attention to a conditional statement? This is really important. Jesus is giving us a conditional statement because it's simple. It's simple. You see, we make, we make obedience to Christ way more complicated than what it has to be. Christ is show us that, showing us that obedience is not quite as complicated as we've made it out. Obedience to God is actually simple enough to boil down to one condition. Listen, if you want to leave here and be obedient to God for the rest of your life, it is so simple that Jesus has boiled it down to one condition for you. Here it is. We will live a life of obedience to Jesus Christ if we love him. That's the condition. 
Christ has said it is this simple. If we love Jesus, then we will obey Jesus. We make so many excuses for why we won't be obedient. Let me get some examples I've thought of today and that I've heard. I'm not waiting until marriage to have sex because no one does that anymore. Right? I haven't been tithing because we just can't afford it right now. I haven't been forgiving of my spouse because they don't deserve it. Right? We've got the excuses for why we won't be obedient to God. We give a myriad of reasons. But when it all boils down to it, all of our excuses come back to one reason why we're not obedient. We don't obey God because we don't love God. You see, the inverse of Christ's statement is true as well. If you do not love me, you will not keep my commandments. The question for us today then, listen, if you're here and you're saying, I want to be obedient to God, I want to live a life of obedience, the question for this is not, do you obey Jesus? My question for you right now is, do you love Jesus? And here's what I want to do. I want to stop and I want you to really ask yourself that question. Only you can answer that. Nobody else can answer that question for you. The question for you today, if you've come into this place and you want to live a life of obedience to Jesus, is do I love Jesus? And I'm going to be honest with you. That's a question that as a Christian, I have to constantly and consistently ask myself. Because so many times what happens is I find myself loving anything and everything else more than I love Jesus. And when I find myself not being obedient, when I find myself struggling with a certain sin, when I find myself wandering from the heart of God, what I've found is that there's other stuff that I love more than Jesus. And here's what I've, here's what I've come to realize. The reason, the reason that I as a Christian so many times find myself loving other things more than I love Jesus is because I forget who Jesus is. And there are a lot of you here this morning who you've never really given your life to Christ. You've never been obedient to God because you've never really loved God. And the reason that is is because you've never actually seen God. You've never actually seen Christ as who He is. So listen to me. Every act of disobedience, every time as Christians we're failing or as non-Christians we don't follow Christ is because we fail to see who Christ really is. And this morning, as I was, or this morning as I was preparing, it was just set on my heart even more. The most important thing I can do for us today is to paint you a picture of who Christ really is. Listen, if you come to this church long enough, you're going to hear the same message almost all the time because here's what I'm going to do when I preach. I'm going to tell you who Jesus is, and I hope that you fall in love with him over and over and over again. So let me tell you who Jesus is this morning. Does that not excite you when you think, I can know Christ? Man, some of y'all just need to wake up. Does that not excite you that you can know Christ? Let, let me tell you who the Bible says that Jesus is. Listen to this. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, literally God Himself as a part of the Trinity. He was there in the beginning of creation, John chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is God Himself, and at the very beginning of creation, when there was nothing, Jesus Christ was the one who said, Be light. John chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says everything in this earth was created by His hands, through His power, and for His glory. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. You can write these verses down if you want to go back and look them up later. 
Do you get that? Jesus Christ is the person who everything on earth was created by his, pan, by his hands, through His power, and for His glory. That's who Jesus is. Jesus, although He is God, emptied Himself of all of His glory and might and came to earth to save us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. The word there in Philippians chapter 2 is the Greek word kenosis. It literally means to be poured out. It's the picture, picture, you have a tea pitcher and you're pouring that thing to empty. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has poured himself out. He lived for 33 years and was tempted and tried in every way just like you and just like me. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Christ experienced Every temptation and trial known to man. You say, man, I'm just so tempted to do this or do that. I just can't help but do it. That's not true. Christ experienced it. He didn't give in. Yet Christ was sinless, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. And he died a sinner's death, our death, so that we sinners might become righteous, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, now that's, that's a big deal right there. I want you to get that. Jesus Christ was not a sinner, yet God the Father put our sin upon Him so that Christ now takes our sin and we are innocent, pure, made whole. That's a big deal. Then on the third day, He was resurrected in power, John chapter 20. And he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father, Hebrews chapter 1. And there's coming a day when Christ Jesus will return and judge with wrath all of his enemies on the earth and every single knee will bow. And see, here's what troubles me with this. Here's what troubles me. So many many times our picture of Jesus is so small. What happens is we've all grown up in churches where we look up at Christ in the stained glass window and he's a white dude with blonde hair and a sheep in his arms and that's not Jesus. I don't know who painted that picture. They were dumb, all right? It's not Jesus. You go read the Bible and you'll see a real picture of who Jesus is and our picture of Christ is just so small. And I could go on and on and on. Literally, as I'm sitting here right now, that's, what I, that's where I want to go the rest of the day. I just want to tell y'all about how, about how great Jesus is. You go read Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. The Bible says that he's going to come from the line, he's going to be the line of the tribe of Judah. And when he comes back on that final day, he will put his foot, foot on, their, on his enemy's necks. You go read Revelation chapter 1, and you see that his face shines with the glory of the sun. And when I read about this Jesus, when I feel this Jesus in my own personal walk with Him, when I know this Jesus, when I look at this Jesus Christ, I love this Jesus Christ. And the main problem of our disobedience, the root of all of our disobedience, is that we have either A, never seen this Jesus, or B, we don't love this Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And listen to me. This morning, if you're here and you, you're lost and you said, I've never had an opportunity to know this Jesus, what I want you to know is that I've just given you a picture of who Christ is. Man, to the best of my poor, pathetic lips ability, I have painted you a picture of who Christ is. All you have to do is say, that's what I want. That Jesus, I want him. 
And personally, this has been my prayer all week long. As I've been getting ready for this, man, more than anything, I just want y'all, if I could just give you my, just show you my heart for a minute. Listen, I don't pretend to be anything that I am not. I am the worst of sinners in this room. Anything you say, man, I'm the worst sinner, we'll just go back behind the curtain later, and when nobody else can hear us out, we'll just compare sins because I'm worse, okay? Like, I am the worst of sinners in this room. I just want you to see my heart. Listen, more than anything in this world, all I want to do is know Christ. All I want to do this week, all I've been praying is, Jesus, let my life be about your glory, and Jesus, let me love you more. And as a Christian, listen, as a Christian, we, chase, we have families and we're busy with that and we have, we have careers and we're chasing the dollar and we're trying to make sure everything's organized and we're keeping calendars and we're balancing schedules and we're keeping spouses happy and our kids are crying and we, the bills are not being paid for some reason. The auto draft didn't come out. All of these things are going on and the only thing we should be focusing on in the midst of all that is Christ, help me love you more. The rest will fall into line as we start to say, Christ, help me love you more. In the end, this is what obedience boils down to, loving Jesus. And here's the reality. I said this wasn't going to be a, a checklist of things that you could do today and you can leave this place know, knowing how to be obedient because here's the deal. I can give you all the tips in the world. Listen, I, as a professional Christian, right, uh, they, they, as a Christian who gets paid to study the Bible, what I can do is I can give you 11 steps to how you can be more obedient to knowing Christ. And if you don't love Jesus, it won't matter. Because if you love Jesus, you will obey Him. And if you don't, you won't. Ain't that profound? If you love Jesus, you obey Him. And if you don't, you won't. It all boils down to this. And now listen, I want to be real practical with you for a second. How does this work in our lives? When we love Jesus, how does it work that we actually become obedient to Christ? I want to just give you an example. I want to give you an example of how this plays out in real life, okay? So how does this work when we love Jesus? How can we be obedient? When we love Jesus and are faced with temptation, you choose, you have, any temptation, you pick one. Pick, pick any temptation. It can be greed. It can be gossip. It can be lust. It can be just loving something else more than you love Jesus. When we are a Christian and we love Jesus and we're faced with that temptation, the greater affection always wins out. The greater affection always wins out. I'm, and just get, let me give you a, a, just a radical example, okay? Imagine that there is a man or a woman who in their mind, they have been flirting with extramarital thoughts, okay? And this man and woman, they've been, they've been thinking this, and they know they don't need to think that way, but man, they, it's just the, the thought's too strong to think to not. And then they find themselves in a situation where the man or the woman they've been thinking about, they're put into a, fa a place where they're tempted in that way. Now, imagine that this man or that one, these two people, they're almost at the point of no return. But one of them's a Christian. And as they're almost at the point of no return, I want you to imagine that Jesus Christ himself on his cross, bloody and bruised, were to walk through the door. And he were to look at the Christian and say, I love you anyway and died on this cross for you. Now, at that point, I'm willing to bet that there is no sin, there is no desire that would make that Christian sin against Christ. Why? Because the affection for Christ is going to be so much greater than anything else. 
What I want you to see is that if you could get a real picture of who Christ is, your affection for Christ will kill any sin. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter what you've been up against. It doesn't matter how intense the temptation is. If your affection for Christ is greater than your affection for the sin, you can beat the sin. You can kill any sin with a greater love for Christ. So it all boils down to this. Love is the motivation for obedience. And I have to ask this morning, only you can answer it. Only I can answer it. Do you love Jesus Christ? That's point number one. Point number two is this. Put verse 16 up there for me, Russ. The Holy Spirit is the power for obedience. All right, so check this out. I've told you that love is the motivation for obedience. That is why we're obedient. We want to know Christ more. We want to please Him. We want to make Him happy because we love Him. That's motivation, okay? Now, hear me. It's still, you still have to have action. And what I'm saying is that you can have all the motivation in the world, but if you don't have power to do something, you can't put it into action. It's kind of like this. My, my family, my household is an early rising household, okay? And what that means for anybody who wakes up early in the mornings, what happens is you know you go through cycles of this, right? You'll do about three or four or five months of perfect, getting up on time, no problems. And what happens is you go through about a month or two where that, uh, where that power to do what you need to do kind of slacks off, right? And so for the way it works out for me, Y'all don't, don't think I'm crazy with this. The way it works for me is that I know that if I want to get my Bible reading done and have a workout before Jenna and Danny get up, which my child has been waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, but that's another story, all right? So if I want to do all that thing, what I have to do is wake up at 4.30 in the morning. Bam. No, no, no. I, man, I just want to work out. I've got, I want to read my Bible. Got to get up at 4.30 in the morning. And right now, when I go to bed at night, the motivation is there, Right? I've been looking at pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I'm like, yep, the motive, I, that's how I want to look, right? I'm going to get up and do 7,500 push-ups in the morning, and I'm going to look like that tomorrow, right? I'm going to run 10 miles. The motivation when I go to bed at night is there. Now, 4.30 a.m. the next morning, the power for obedience is not there because that alarm goes off, and my wife hits me on the shoulder and says, you need to go cut your alarm off because I have to put it, or I have to stand up and get out of the bed, right? And so I go turn the alarm off, and then I come back and lay down on the bed. Okay? What happened? The motivation is there. The, the power for obedience is not. So as Christians, our motivation to obey, to be obedient to Christ is that we love Him. But we've got to have some power to do this. We've got to have uh, some spiritual coffee, if you will. All right? We've got to have some, some gasoline to go on that fire to get everything revved up. So here's what I want you to understand as we look at verse 16. The Holy Spirit is the power for obedience. Look at verse 16. It says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now I want you to notice what Jesus calls the Spirit here. And let's put it back on verse 16. It said, what does Jesus call the Spirit here? He calls him the helper. And where does this helper live? Go to verse 17 for me, Russ. Where does the helper live? He, the Bible says, you know him for he dwells with you and he will be where? In you. He will be in you. Now here is something that I think if we're all honest, we just read over and we never really understand what Christ has just said. 
And the only people we really know who talk about the Holy Spirit a lot are people who like are weird, right? So we don't know if we should just what we should do with that. So we just kind of go on about it and we never really start to figure out what Jesus has just said. The sad reality is, though, that we've just read a statement that, we've ne- that we should, as Christians, never stop being in awe of. What Christ has just told us is that the Spirit of the living God has lived in, is living inside of us. The Christ has very clearly said the third person of the Trinity, God Himself, has come to live inside those who are Christians. Now, that's something that should just make us stop in our tracks and say, like, we don't understand what I'm saying. I'm telling you that the God who created the universe is living in you. How do you understand that? Because I don't. I'm still like, what are you trying to say now? The Holy Spirit, God lives inside of me. And what we never, we never realized that the power that created the universe and calmed storms and made Jericho's walls tumble and raised the dead to life and made blind eyes see has come to live inside of us. By and large, Christians today have no concept of the power and presence of God that lives inside of them. This is one reason a lot of Christians become crusty and become stale. And what happens is they come to church every Sunday and they sit in their same, they sit in their same seat and they, 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 they're good folk. Now, don't get me wrong, but they've never done anything worthwhile for Christ. Yeah, they don't do anything real bad because they do love Jesus, but they've never done anything worthwhile for Christ is because they've never laid a hold of the truth that the power of God is living inside of them at every given moment. And listen, you might be here this morning, and I want to ask you, have you become crusty and stale? Like, have you come to that place where, man, Christianity, man, it's just about coming to church and sitting here, and man, we got a good preacher, y'all should come hear our preacher, and man, I like the music here. If that's what Christianity is to you, you've become crusty and stale, and you need to lay a hold of what this means. So what's the Spirit do? Later on, I'm going to give you a couple of verses. You can go look this up. But later on in the discussion, Jesus gives some more details about the work of the Holy Spirit. And you can see for yourself what he says. If you want to go look and see what he says later on, you can see it. He says it in John 14, 26 and chapter 16, verses 9 through 15. He gives a bunch of details about what the Holy Spirit says and does. But for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize it like this, okay? The work of the Holy Spirit is this, all right? If, you want, if, you've, ever, if you've been wondering what does the Holy Spirit do, If you've been coming to this church and you've heard us talk about the Holy Spirit and you say, man, that's great, but what does the Holy Spirit do? Let me give you the best summary I can give you right here, okay? The Holy Spirit guides Christians and empowers them to live obedient lives that glorify Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, don't get mixed up. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things in the life of believers. He does everything from convict of sin to give spiritual gifts. But every single work of the Spirit in a believer, at the foundation of that work, is the Holy Spirit working in a believer to make them be obedient and to help them glorify Christ. You can go on and read in John chapter 14 and 15 and 16 and what you're going to find is that Jesus says the main work of the Spirit is to glorify Christ. So spiritual gifts and conviction of sin and obedience to God, it all has one purpose, that people would look to Jesus and say, man, Jesus is good. 
So all this talk about the Holy Spirit might have you wondering, why does this even matter? How, I get what you're saying, Dias, but how does this affect me? This matters because Christ is showing us that the only way a Christian can live a life of obedience is through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. You see, when we get saved, something amazing happens. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, and it changes everything. It's literally like God himself moves into an old, abandoned, rotten house, and he begins to remodel it. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing inside of you. The old lust, he takes the crowbar to it and throws it out. Greed and covetousness are removed and replaced with something far better. Gospel is, the gossip is dragged to the dump. All because the Holy Spirit is that power living inside of us to change us from what we used to be to what God wants us to be. Did you get that? God is changing us from what we used to be to from what he wants us to be, okay? So a lot of us get caught up because, man, we say we're not perfect. Let me ask you this. Are you where you used to be? Because if you're where you used to be, you've never come to know Christ. But as a Christian, what I can promise you is that you're not where, you, where he wants you to be yet, but you're on the way there. Practically, this means there is not one area of your life. Listen to me now because I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying because a lot of y'all come in here with struggles and man I, I've got my own struggles with sin that I had to fight and you've got your struggles with sin and being courageous. I know that. So listen to me. This is what this means for your life as you leave here today. Practically there is not one area of your life that you cannot be obedient to God in. Do you realize that? You can be obedient to God in every area of your life. I don't care what you've been struggling with. Some of y'all are like, man, you just don't know what I struggle with. I don't care what you struggle with. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. I don't care if you've been watching porn or stealing from the tip jar. I don't care if you've been gossiping about your co-worker or thinking about extramarital affairs. I don't care if you've had an unforgiving spirit for 20 years or you've been cussing like a sailor for 40 I don't care if you've never witnessed to another person about Christ or if you've been too lazy to serve on Sunday mornings. I do not care what your struggle is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You can be obedient to God. You see, what it, back to my illustration, we have the motivation to get up in the morning, but we don't have the power to do it. The Holy Spirit is, that, uh, is the power of that sleep that refreshes us in the night that gives us the power to get up and go on about our day. We don't have to lay back down on the bed. You, you, anybody ever had that happen? You've hit off the alarm clock and you've laid back down because you're just too tired. A lot of you, that's what's happened spiritually. You've gotten up and you've started walking, but man, you were too tired to keep going on. So what you've done is you went and laid back down right in that old sin you've been in your whole life. And what God is telling you through the power of the Holy Spirit is that you don't have to keep laying down in that old bed. We still struggle and we still fail. But the Holy Spirit inside of us is pushing us to live for His glory, be obedient. And I've seen this in my own life. Listen, I want, I want you to see how this works practically. So I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is the power for us to practically live a life that glorifies, glorifies Christ. How does this happen? Listen, this is how it happens for me a, a couple times, a few times. The Holy Spirit is working through me to be obedient when I have the courage to witness to somebody one-on-one -on -one about Christ. So I don't know how it works for y'all, but listen, 
up here in front of the crowd telling y'all about Jesus? No problem at all for me. I could stay up here for an hour. Y'all know I do every Sunday, okay? But now you get one-on-one with me and somebody one-on-one with Jesus, and I'm just like, man, how about um, those, that football game yesterday? And they talk about Jesus, and I'm just like, man, we don't have to talk about that. You know, just because I'm a preacher, we don't have to talk about it, right? I just, man, I freeze up. I'm just like, when God, when I have the courage to tell somebody else about Jesus Christ one-on-one, I know that's the Holy Spirit working through me to be obedient. When I have the, the strength to repent of sin that lives in my heart and my mind, I know that it's the Holy Spirit saying, turn from that Dallas. When I love the things that God loves, I know that's the Holy Spirit. Because in my own, in my own power, I love sin, right? We all used to love sin. In my own power, that's what I love. But when I find myself hating the things that God hates and loving the things that God loves, I know that it's the Holy Spirit working inside of me. When I have the strength to keep my mouth shut, I know it's the Holy Spirit working through me. Because I don't know if, I I mean, I just, I talk. And it's going to be one of those things, if you say something I don't agree with, it's coming right back out. I've seen, it, I've, seen, I've seen the Holy Spirit be at work in my marriage. When me and my wife, we're on the verge of an argument, right? And I, if, if you're married, y'all know what happens. Somebody's got to back down, right? Right? Y'all were both looking at each other with loaded guns and somebody's got to back out. And you're just like, nope, we've come too far now. We're about to, the shootout's about to begin. All right? But I've seen the Holy Spirit be at work in my marriage. When, a, when, a, when we're about to have an argument and the proverb comes to my mind, the beginning of an argument is like the letting loose of a dam so quit before a quarrel breaks out. I don't know what, y- y'all go look up what proverb that is. I don't even know what verse, I know it's in there because I read it and then when I was about to have an argument, God told me that and I was just like, and backed up and went off, right? <laughs> y'all think I'm joking, right? When I, when I, when I flexed though, I ran. I, didn't, I got out of there. The Holy Spirit works in me and through me to make me do what I could never do on my own. He's the power. Some of you need to have that power today. Here's the last thing. Joy is the result of obedience, okay? Russ, go to chapter 15, verse 10. Verse 10. Listen, we're going to fast forward in Jesus' discussion, okay? We're going to go to chapter 15, verse 10. Here's what I want you to see. I'm fast-forwarding for a purpose. So this is part of the same conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And he's about to wrap it up. And this is what he says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want you to see what God's after in our obedience. So many times we start talking about what we have to do for Christ, what we must do for Christ. I've got to do this. I have to do this. And we act as if that God is out to get us by giving us commandments. That God, I tell you, He's just trying to kill all the fun. That's our mentality, though. And what I want you to see is that in our obedience, God is after our joy. You will never have the courage to take a blank check of your life and throw it on the table until you realize that God is out for your joy not to get you. 
The reason so many times we're not obedient to Christ, the reason so many times we're not wanting to do what God has told us to do is because we're thinking, God, if I do this, I'm going to be miserable. And what God has said is that I have done this so that you will have real joy and not that bankruptcy you've been settling for. When Jesus calls us to lay down our life in obedience, He doesn't have evil things planned for us. That's not the kind of Father He is. It's not as if He's up there plotting how He can make our lives miserable. When God calls for us to be obedient, what He's actually calling for us to do is to live in that abundant life that He's promised us. There may be times when we don't understand what He's doing. There may be times where it hurts to be obedient, but we must trust that He is God and He is working for our good. How different would your life be if you, in everything you went through, you said, he's for my good and I'm going to follow? Because behind every step of obedience, we will find the joy and satisfaction of the King of Kings who made us to live for his glory. And doesn't it only make sense that God would tell us how to live? I got a question for y'all. It's a pop quiz. Do you know who created marriage and money and sex and careers and who created the very essence of life. Do y'all know who created all those things? It wasn't as if God was sitting, standing in heaven and they, somebody came back and they were bartering with money and he was just like, well, huh, they came up with that. No, God created money. God created careers. God created family. God created sex. So when God calls us to be obedient in those areas, don't you think God knows more about those areas than you do? He's trying to give you joy. Every time, listen to me, and this is, this is important, this is why I'm starting to close. Every time we choose disobedience rather than obedience, we are choosing less joy than what God has created us for. Do you know that God has created you to be a joyful human being? Listen, I get so tired of sour, mad Christians. God has created you to walk in joy. And when you choose disobedience, what you are saying is, God, I'd rather not have your joy. I'd rather have things my way. If you want joy that's real and unchanging, start by being obedient today. Here's what, as we close, there are two things. Two modes of... Two modes of response that are kind of appropriate here today. So listen to me, right? Listen to me for just a second. The first mode of response is this. There are many of you here today who are unbelievers. And what I mean by that is your life is characterized by disobedience to God. You don't care what God thinks. Listen, I hate to break it to you today, but if you're here and you say, I live my life and I don't really care what God thinks about it either way, then that means you're an unbeliever, okay? That's what the Bible characterizes as somebody who's lost. And if that's you here today, the reason for your disobedience is that you don't know Jesus, the Jesus that I was talking about earlier. And today is that day. Today is the day for you to know that Jesus. And so what I want to do is if you're saying, I have been disobedient, but now I want to be obedient. I have been lost, but now I want a relationship with Christ. I want to love Jesus more than anything else. If that's you here today, what I want to ask you to do is just start by slipping your hand up. You're saying, that's what I want. I want a relationship with Christ. Is that anybody here today? If that's you, we just want to celebrate with you. We just want to pray with you and celebrate what God's doing in your life.
Is that anybody? That's fine. Here's the second mode of response. We Christians need to consider very seriously whether we have ever laid our lives down as a blank check to Christ and said, Christ, you have it all. And if you have not, Christ will have it all or Christ will have none. Listen to me now. Revelation chapter 3, we talk about that verse all the time, lukewarm Christians. That's a, that's a complete misinterpretation of that verse. There is no such thing. There is no other time in the Bible where God talks about spitting Christians out of His mouth. What He's saying is either you're lost or you're saved, and if you're lukewarm, you're lost. This morning, if we're Christians, it's time to lay that check down. God, you have it all. God, you have it all. And if that's you, I want to challenge you. This altar is open for that today. Come and pray and say, God, how can I be more obedient? Who's the next person that you need to share the gospel with today? Maybe that's your next step of obedience. Who's, what's the sin in your heart that nobody else knows of that you need to repent of? What's the attitude that you've had that you cannot get rid of and it's just eating your soul because you've got such a bad attitude maybe today you need to repent of that? What's your next step of obedience? And I want to just have you be in prayer for us as a church when we talk about obedience. Because I want you to realize this, and we're about to close. I want you to realize this. As a church, we're just like individual Christians. We have to take step, steps of obedience. And a lot of you, I don't think, have stopped to think about the fact that this school in six months, we're not going to be able to meet here anymore. So we got steps of obedience coming up. And they're going to be hard steps. And it's going to take people like you and people like me being obedient on the, on the easy things and on the hard things. It's going to take us being obedient and stuff like, God, I know I don't understand why you want me to tithe more than 10% right now, but I'm going to do it. That's a hard thing to be obedient in. It's going to take things like, God, I know it's going to take extra time out of my schedule to go help set up on a Sunday morning. But I'm going to be obedient in that. And we've got so many good things coming. But I don't want us to miss where we're at right now and how we can be obedient. And I want to challenge you today. Let's start with that. Let's start with that. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for how you love us and take care of us. God, I thank you for all the blessings in my life, God. I just pray today that I would be obedient to you in everything. For the glory of your name and the advancement of your kingdom. Christ, I pray.